Hey, Brian. Hey, Annie, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. I'm really, really, really looking forward to today talking to uh, my friend Mary. Absolutely. Uh, this is an awesome, going to be an awesome conversation. She is just sounds fantastic. So today we're going to talk to our friend Mary Yang Moi. Um, she's a Hmong American woman. Uh, she lives in Portland, Oregon, and she's been married for 16 years and has a daughter. She currently serves as a disciple-making director for Portland Hmong Alliance Church and works for Human Resources uh, for the state of Oregon. She's also the co-chair for the Asian and Pacific Islander Network Employee Resource Group and the Oregon Department of Human Services. <laughs> and she's passionate about Bible study, mentoring, volleyball, and binging series from Netflix, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime, and Hulu. Just like you, Brian, that last one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was gonna say uh, that the best uh, connection there is the last one. Um, uh, so I, I have never met Mary, uh, but she already sounds more currently productive than I've ever been in my whole life. She is a go-getter and just yeah. a beautiful, beautiful human. So I'm excited to share this, this talk with everybody. Well, cool. Let's, uh, let's jump in then. Get to it. Hey, everybody. Hi, Brian. Hi, Mary. Good morning. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Good to see you. Um, everybody, this is my friend, Mary Yang Moi, and she wanted to um, do a little game with us. So everybody Yay. play, everybody play. You, you'll be the first time. to start us off with the game, the very it's, first. So. <laughs> I always find icebreakers are such a great way to break the ice, right? So um, sure. I do want to, um, just put this out there. You don't really need anything except maybe something to write with so you can, you know, write down what it is that I'm instructing you to. But basically, I just want you to like close your eyes. So if you're imagine, driving, first so if you're driving, yeah, imagine this in your brain. Imagine legal, that you're yeah. closing your eyes. <laughs> um, or if you're driving, yeah, wherever you are. Um, what I want you to imagine is that you are looking into a handheld mirror. So you're holding a mirror in front of your face. Okay, and now I want you to describe what it is that you see. So first things that come to your mind, usually when you're looking into the mirror, what is it that you see? And just write those things down, as many as you can think of. And I will give you a few moments to do that so that we can discuss and share what it is that you wrote down. at a handheld mirror and you are describing what you see. We'll give you another minute or so. Some people find this very difficult to do and some people, as soon as they get a couple, then they just can't stop. So I would like to ask for a volunteer. <laughs> to start I'll go, I'll go. <laughs> I'll throw elbows to Brian. Yes. I'll throw Zoom elbows. We're recording on Zoom. <laughs> Zoom elbow to Brian. Me, me. Just share with you what I wrote yeah, down. Yeah, share what it is that you wrote down. So if I imagine a handheld mirror, um, first, I just said my smile first, mm -hmm. and then my wrinkles. <laughs> just a couple, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> And then I'll probably notice my blue eyes, uh, my hair, like a handheld mirror always makes me think of like the, my hair on the back. Cause like, I'll use it to like yeah. angle it to like <laughs> see the back of my head. Um, then I might notice the dirt on the mirror <laughs> oh, yeah. or whatever else is in my teeth. Like sometimes a handheld mirror makes me like check my teeth. Like, Oh, is this, is there something in my teeth? That's what I wrote down. Okay, great. Brian, what about you? Um, <clears throat> 
I notice my nose. I can see one eye because it's small. Um, it's a small ear. He's got a compact. He's got a compact. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, and then I notice my nose hair because I'm really conscious about nose hairs coming out. I want to make sure that those are all oh my gosh, clipped okay. and tucked away. Okay, let's edit that uh, out. Then uh, I notice my eyelashes. Uh, I notice my skin probably looks greasy. Then I start to notice the stubble on my face. And then I'm like, oh, my hair's a little messy. And then I'm like, oh, who is this old guy? And then it's <laughs> notice my age a little bit. So, yeah. All right. Thank you for sharing. So, okay. I've done this activity many, many times, but I remember the very first time I wrote it. Um, I actually still had the, the sheet from my first experience doing this. And I was reviewing it before I looked at it today. And, and what I wrote down was like, I noticed my hair, you know, I noticed my eyes, my glasses. And then I wrote down like, oh, I see an Asian woman, right? Um, and I, we had a couple more minutes. And so there were several other things that we wrote down. But what I did notice uh, partaking in that was that everyone who was a person of color in the room noted down their race or that they saw their color and everyone who was white did not yeah. right? <laughs> and so and it's similar it, but the thing is too there's a lot of intersectionality right and so it was dependent on where people were in their journey because there were some women who were in there were like I wrote down a woman where a man would not write down that they see a man None of the men wrote down, they saw a man. So it, it's a, a lot yeah. of those conversations, you know, it's a really great activity. I feel like a lot of folks who are first coming into this conversation, yeah, it's a really great way to awaken their senses a little bit. And that when I look in the mirror, I don't see a man, I see a human being. And so that already shows their privilege, right? Yes. Oh, I love that. As yeah. soon as you said what we were doing, I... My, my daughter's Mexican-American and brown skinned, and we've been really uh, trying to be more aware. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as you said what you were doing, I thought, I think I'm, I think I'm supposed to recognize my skin color, but I would not. I really I would not. not. Yeah. No, yeah, I would. I just wouldn't. So I couldn't even like lie and say that's what I would see. Like, because I wouldn't even notice mm -hmm. my skin, my skin color or my, the tone of my skin. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my gosh, that's so helpful. What yeah. a helpful, I hope people actually did it before they listened to this. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's one way for us to kind of gently say too, like, these are the things I have to think about all the time. I can't just step out into the world and not recognize that I am Asian, not recognize that I am a woman, right? Even stature, like I am a short five feet tall woman right so there are just like so many different nuances that I have to be aware of that or I am aware of that other people are not and yeah. so I feel like that is a really great way to kind of show people like if this is your world if this mirror is your world it's very small in comparison to the rest of the world and maybe my mirror is a little larger because I'm aware of these things or I've lived these things. And as we continue to grow in our journey of awakening and understanding race and, and bias and, and, and all yeah. of these things that come into it, it, it broadens your mirror. Like Brian's was a handheld compact mirror, right? So maybe after today, his will be a little bit bigger. I and hope so. you... That's awesome. That's such, such a great compact mirror. Around. That's a, such a great observation. Yes. And so, you know, your mirror grows as you start reflecting more mm -hmm. on the world and you start to see other people's mirrors in combination with yours. And so I just feel like it's really important um, as we start this discussion, right, about my experience with racism and what it is that like how my story plays into that right and how I have to live in what it is that I have to carry every day yeah. um and so thank you first I do want to like just express my gratitude for this podcast I am a huge fan I've been listening to it since you shared it mm -hmm. um I believe that this work is really important and it's a space where I feel a lot of Asian Americans are not invited to, or maybe mm. don't want to participate in. Yeah. And so I love this platform. Um, and especially because uh, you both love Jesus, 
right? Yeah. And that is a space where I haven't really necessarily had a chance to discuss Mm. where racism and all these things I know from my work, right? Because I work for the state of Oregon and we participate in being an anti-racist organization, but then the church is not participating in being an anti-racist organization. So then I don't get very many experiences to talk to people who love Jesus, but also find this work to be very valuable. So I do want to thank you both. I'm such a huge fan. And then of course I have to have the disclaimer where it's like, this is my personal experience, right? I don't represent all of the Hmong American people out there or Hmong believers in Christ or even, you know, Asians in general, like this is my personal journey. These are the testimonies that God has given me in my life and has awakened in me so that I can pursue this work. Um, And then to kind of look forward and, and see like, what are the barriers that I'm going to have to face and how do I jump over those hurdles or when is God going to open the door? So thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Um, oh my goodness. For this opportunity. Oh um, man. Yeah. Brian, you go. Yeah. I was just going to say like, uh, um, I think it's really interesting to point out like, like the way you stated it, that the church is not known for being an anti-racist organization. I think that is just so disheartening and so sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, how much the church has a history of, divorcing racism from the gospel mm-hmm. and or or conversations about race from a gospel maybe would be a yeah. better way to talk about it or not yeah. even wanting to acknowledge uh racism as something that exists in the church or exists in an institution and i uh i i'm just wondering when when you think about the church not being an anti-racist organization is there anything like even just small actions, small things or big things that you go, I wish, I wish I could see this. I wish I could experience this mm-hmm. as a way of just feeling seen and heard or noticed or like, mm-hmm. like what are the, what are the things about the church that you're hoping for as a result of people looking at the gospel together, experiencing the gospel together? I think I would just want to see more um, solidarity. So mm. what I mean by that is, um, when, you know, George Floyd happened and then that kind of rolled into this pandemic where there was a lot of Asian hate happening in the communities and me coming from a church that is primarily, um, like our people are all majority of us are Hmong, you know, attending this church and it wasn't even being discussed in our own church, right? And so then I wasn't even seeing it where I follow many churches on social media. I didn't even see a a stance in solidarity. And I think what I saw more was, it was my non-Christian brothers who were coming in support of, you know, this Asian hate and violence that was happening. And I think that's where the disconnect is as well, is that our church doesn't want to be involved in politics, but not taking a stance in itself is like showing that maybe you don't care enough to just acknowledge that this is happening and acknowledge that we might need to create a space for people to discuss what they're feeling. And if we're not doing that, then we're far behind, right? And I think about all of these young folks, because I have a lot of young youth and teenagers and single adults in my life. And what they see is what I see is that the Christians or the ones who are vocal about it on social media or in person are very far on one side, right? Mm. And there's really not a lot of people in between. So then what they see is, oh, these churchgoers or these believers do not stand in solidarity or do not care about this work or do not, you know, preach on love, but when it really comes down to it, aren't following through. Whereas these yeah. people who don't believe in Jesus necessarily, or who are for movements where, you know, are against my Christian faith, they're actually more aligned to how I'm feeling like this pain and this hurt. Mm. Um, and like, I just want to talk about it, but I can't talk about it with people at church because yeah. Uh, 
thinks that I'm not a believer. And I always feel like I'm in this in-between space because I've tried to have these discussions with maybe other believers in my life, even mentors that I've looked up to. And I recognize that they're just not there. And yeah. it's not saying that they're bad, but I, or, you know, that they, they don't know, but it's more my experience with my personal journey and what I've seen has grown so much more exponentially. And so for me to even try to speak to them is like going to a new believer, you know, and asking them mm. what sanctification means when they right. don't know, yeah. you know, when they yeah. can't even grasp the concept <clears throat> of sin. And so I can't even start to have those conversations with them. So then I almost feel like what the young youth and single adults are seeing now is so yes. much more shaped by the world right the word that then right. it's like this extreme where I really want to be biblical with them too but then they don't even have a sense of where I stand in my faith or where they should be in their faith right so it's like this constant battle and like I said it's like you just can't find a space to have these conversations somehow anti-racist work or is, justice yeah. mm-hmm. is is divorced from the gospel, yes, yeah. which exactly. is, which is completely erroneous. That's completely yeah. not true. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say two things, Mary, and then I'll, I want to hear your story and whatever you want to share, but <laughs> one, yeah. thank you for thanking us, but, um, we are, <laughs> I try not to be self-deprecating. I don't mean it that way, but we are a couple of dummies that showed up really late to this conversation. Right. Sorry. Sorry, Brian. Um, but, and it was really George Floyd's murder mm. and the people of color that were willing to say, Hey, look at this. Yep. And then the, and then I will say, I'm grateful for the Christian missionary Alliance there. They yes. came out with a letter right away mm-hmm. that said, we stand against racist mm-hmm. and, and words and endeavors. And, and that was really helpful for Brian and I, as we yeah. were serving on a pastoral staff of, at a church, because it helped us go, okay. And then we got to read, read God's word with a lens of justice and a lens of the voice of the oppressed. And, and we took every opportunity we could to say, this isn't okay. What you read Mm. in the newspaper yesterday is not okay for our Asian brothers and sisters. Um, yeah. And it was, it still is like people tell us all the time, like that's being political or something. Like it's like, no, it's being human. Like it's actually like loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, so anyway, thanks for, Oh, go ahead, Brian. Well, I was just going to say, it's interesting because like, I don't, I don't think Jesus was being political. Um, I don't think that he was trying to be a a socialist or a communist or even a capitalist or any of those kinds of things. Right. (laughs) Um, but he, he met people in their social issues yeah. as a way of representing and embodying the fact that he is the good news. Yeah. Right? He is the good news of heaven. You can say Jesus doesn't care about healthcare, but then why was he healing people like crazy? Right. Exactly. You could say he doesn't care about uh, like mental issues, but then why was he freeing people from demons like Amen. crazy? Like yep. you could say he doesn't care about race, but then why would he entertain conversations Mm -hmm. with people who are not Jewish and even do it in a way that calls attention to the, the racist ways that people speak. I even think about like the, like the, especially the conversation with the, I think it's the Syrophoenician woman Mm. who comes and asks, will you heal? And he, uh, I believe takes on, he takes on the language of the day of the culture of how you would treat a Syrophoenician woman. Mm. And I believe he's doing it as a way of exposing, can you hear how stupid this sounds? Mm -hmm. Because the end result is he blesses the woman in her faith. Yeah. And I I just think like, like Jesus engages people in these very highly social, like deeply social ways to show how extensive and how uh, deeply the gospel is meant to permeate every yes. aspect of our lives. Yes. Of, of social construct, of poverty, yes. of economic yes. status, of race and gender, nationality, yeah. all of it. All so of good. it. Yes. Exactly. So. Yeah. And I always think about the woman at the well, right? Yeah. 
yeah. that's the biggest story that you can see like he went to her and the whole city <laughs> yes that's right that's right so, yeah. that means something um when yeah. it comes to this so yeah so i think you know i was listening to so many of your speakers and i think it was joel um who had mentioned you know when you speak to someone who um comes from an immigrant background right like so my parents my story doesn't begin with me and I, I thought that was a really great way to to express that is that my racism experience started with my people right and like the Hmong community in general has experienced so much um, hardship like throughout world history um, and so like Hmong people were like a village uh, minority group that um, originated like in the Southeast Asian um, world. So a lot of them say that we came from China and immigrated into the Laos and Thailand area. So my parents, um, they were born in Laos, but then during the Vietnam War, we had the secret war where the U.S. came in and mm-hmm. um, basically asked or had the Hmong people be part of a secret service, um, guerrilla fighters, um, who would go in and fight against the Vietnamese for them. And so um, my father, who was very young at the time, like very, very early teens, um, was drafted and he was actually partaking in in these wars as a young child. Um, And then many of them had to escape across the Mekong River um, to go to Thailand because Thailand was offering refuge for them. So then my parents met at the refugee camp in which they were placed um, and they got married and they immigrated to the U.S. And so they immigrated to the U.S. in the 80s. And so all of my siblings, we have 10 of us, uh, we were all born in the U.S. And um, my dad actually came to Christ um, like a few years after he had this major incident. And then the year I was born, he actually was ordained um, oh, as wow. a pastor for the for the CMA. Oh, um, cool. And so I feel like I've you know grown up in this Hmong Alliance. So the Hmong Alliance is like a really huge subset of the CMA. So CMA has this um, where they split up different ethnicities and different minority groups. Yeah. Into small. (laughs) And, you know, that was kind of the, how I met Annie was just like, now we're in this Portland Hmong Alliance church. I've been a part of this church since 2001. And I'm like in these roles now where I'm trying to find help for various things. And the Hmong community or the Hmong CMA does cannot support me and that no one yeah. else has done it or they're referring me out. So then I was like, Annie, I need help. Yeah. <laughs> somebody, yeah. somebody, I need help. <laughs> because um, my, in my knowledge and experience and forgive me, cause it's not vast, um, we're split up our districts. So the Christian Missionary Alliance in the in North America split up into districts based on geographical region. Mm-hmm. And when Mary contacted me, she she educated me that Hmong Alliance was its own district. Mm-hmm. And yet they're in Portland, Oregon, which is where we are. And I was like, what? And I I had to pause my conversation with Mary and like and call our director of um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Olan Ragasa and say, Hey, Olan, can I <laughs> sound so dumb and embarrassing, <laughs> but this is just where I started. I said, can I help Mary? And he was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I had to ask too. I asked Mom district. I'm like, can they help me? <laughs> can I ask them for help? <laughs> he was like, yes, of course you can. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that. Cause I would have had major problems <laughs> if you said no. Yeah. And I feel that's how it's been my whole life. It's like, we, I'm Hmong, so like we as a people tend to congregate together. Like the largest Hmong communities are in Minnesota and California because we live in community. That's really how we lived. Mm -hmm. Our villages were our communities and then we expanded. And and when when the CMA or when the Catholic um, missionaries came over, in the 70s and 80s, they would bring entire villages because that's just how the Hmong people operate. If you can bring the shaman or the head elders, you bring the whole village, the, the whole, whole village is converting, mm-hmm, the whole community. right? 
And so then like, there's this whole nuance in that, like, yes, we're Christians. And yet also we hold very tightly to our Hmong like culture um, mm -hmm. because that's who we are, right? Like I truly do believe that God made me Hmong for a reason, but at yeah. the same time, like that's just a part of who I am and that should not overshadow the fact that I am a child of God. And those are the things that we wrestle with, right? right? Because there are so many cultural nuances that were strung out of cultural beliefs and shamanism but those things can't be let go of because it's just so ingrained in us so then we try to match it up with the bible or we try to incorporate it and say we're Hmong and we're christians but we always still do things this way <laughs> yeah so it's it's been interesting um but i feel like for me i i was always very aware that i was different um because when I was growing up, I, I lived in Detroit. My dad was a church planter. Um, we lived in Detroit for a while and that was really my first church experience. And I noticed that when I was at church, everyone looked like me, but when I went to school, you know, then we didn't all look alike. And um, a lot of my friends were put in ESL and I couldn't go to ESL because I had a lot of older siblings. So my mm. English was proficient. Right. And so then when all the kids, the Hmong kids who went to school with me got pulled out of ESL, like I was the only person of color, um, you know, in the room. Right. And right. so I think those experiences made me realize very quickly, like, oh, I am different. I'm not white. Um, and then fast forward, we moved to this very small town in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And I, we were the only people of color in this city for a really long time. We'd stayed wow. there for seven years. My parents ran a restaurant and then my dad also um, church planted a church for a lot of people who owned restaurants to come and attend. Oh, cool. um, and so we were there for seven years. And as soon as we left within a year, the two houses that we lived in, one of them burned down and the other was bulldozed to make a pathway to this bank, which is really interesting because there's like the house right on the corner right next to us that was not bulldozed. But, you wow. know, like a, <laughs> a lot of my family are like, oh, no, that make, I'm like, it doesn't make sense. Like, I mean, do you not realize how racist that is? Like even within my own family, yeah. they notice. And so. I mean, you mean so people tried to say it must have been oh it was just this or just that or just this or just oh, that yes, yeah. and you're like we spent seven years in this community <laughs> of white people yeah and we we leave and we left our houses are gone yeah yeah so Whoa. it's just you know it's very interesting and I think the people there there were definitely people there who loved me you know who encouraged yes. us and we we have friends who are still you know connecting with us but at the same time, it was like that whole town, like whoever was in charge of whatever was happening, like that happened. And so I feel like, you know, it's shocking, but at the same time, it's not shocking to me anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think the more like aware that I was of it, like the more I realized why people stuck together right like why the most mm -hmm. people stopped right was because when we put ourselves in a situation where we were not together yeah like we experienced these types of things and so I I do believe that this the model where you know CMA is broken up into various districts based on culture I think that was important in the beginning yeah that's sure. yeah right? that's what I've heard I, it, it really has given us a place of community to grow mm, and to, yeah. to do things the way we're used to but I think now moving forward it's like how do we shift that because yeah. our, our cultures are changing our children do have a different mindset now right like myself I'm not completely fluent in Hmong I can have a conversation I can carry conversation I can explain things but my child probably will not right right and so how do we navigate this world, new world that we're living in but then also not leave behind yeah. our elders because that is yeah. so important and valuable to us and I think we do a lot of things that are really great that I don't see in a white church right like I think communities right. of color we just have this thing where 
we don't just think about us as individuals, but we think collectively. <laughs> yeah, like this affects my people. This yeah. affects my family. Like I'm not so making good. this choice for the benefit of myself and my faith. I'm making this for the benefit of my future generation. Like right. how do I do that? And so I think when it comes to race, the more like where I got most of my education was from my work. Like I was stating, mm. like we're really trying to be an anti-organization, anti-racist organization with the state right. of Oregon. And so yeah. I was able to input myself into groups where I could have conversations and learn more about my own personal biases and learn about my own <clears throat> yeah. privilege, right? Oh, and yeah. so that kind of comes alongside with like Asians in general mm. um, or many Asians we've benefited from this current white supremacy. We have, because we are the model minority. Right. Oh my gosh, we've heard of this. Yeah, so we battle with the model minority myth Mm. in that, um, you know, if if you can be more like these Asian people who work hard, who stay silent, and then you can too be successful. You too can have doctors. You can have engineers. But then when you look at the statistics and you look at like, oh, even Asian doctors are getting paid less than white doctors. Um, And there's not going to be as many of them as there are, you know, this. So I think we ended up hurting ourselves. And I I think we are kind of in a lot of the similar places as white folk when we start to recognize like, oh my goodness, I also try to white explain things. Yes. Yes. I am more comfortable with a community, a white community than I am with a black community or a Mexican community or even other Asian communities. I would rather segregate myself and tie myself to the white man because it benefits me. And so I think that's really the Mary. struggle with the Asian community. It really it's, is. It's <laughs> just, it's just, you've said so many amazing things in the last minute that I'm just yeah. like, my brain is like swirling and I'm Um, but what's most distracting to me first is I just want to go back to your houses Mm. and just say, I am so sorry. And I believe you. And I know that people of color know when things have a racist bent towards them, that, that they can make sense of it. And I just feel horrified that seven years of your life the investment that your dad made in that community and I'm sure you know people made nice and whatnot but I just find that just just a horrible horrible um racist act and I'm just so sorry so that was one thing (laughs) I was like I was like wait I gotta say this because yeah because it's it's really important to like, you know, like you, like you said, like there was another house that wasn't like, it was like, it was such a random, random things. And so anyway, I want to say that. Um, and then Brian jump in anytime, but the second thing is the next generation of Hmong, uh, children that are growing up in this kind of, if you will, segregated Mm -hmm. district, like what's that and how do we deal with that? And then the third thing, which is just, I'm so excited that you want to talk about this with us with the model minority because Mm -hmm. I know our listeners can hear me go yeah 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 and really what what you don't know is that I'm sitting here as a white woman going like gasping like like at the at the impact really of this of white um I I try not to use the word white supremacy because that is what it is but it's more nuanced like the white privilege and white um like superiority or like, or goal, if you will, like yeah. air quotes, I air quoted the goal, the word goal um, for all of those things. So anyway, I don't know, Brian, do you want to add anything to that? And then if Mary wants to jump in on any of those three again, <laughs> that would be fun. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I think I have an acknowledgement and a question. Mm, yeah. And the acknowledgement is just, you, you made it sound as though, and I believe it and can see it that if, if a, a person of color can feel more comfortable in white spaces than other spaces, then life is going to feel more, you didn't say it this way, but life mm-hmm. is going to feel more successful. It's going to mm-hmm. feel more possible. It's going to feel more comfortable. Um, and to just call attention to like, like that, 
that does exist. Yeah. yeah. And and most of us white people are not aware of that. Just as much as when I look in a handheld mirror, mm-hmm. I wouldn't first see that I have white skin. Like that's not that's not the or, first thing I see. Or ever notice that. Exactly. Yeah. Like so that <laughs> that's just how in, on you know I, like in the water it is. Mm-hmm. My second question is around. There's a big deal, if you will, um, in trying to figure out how to help churches be more integrated and more multi-ethnic and more multicultural. Um, there's also an acknowledgement that Sunday is the most segregated hour of the week in churches. That, there's that kind of thing. And then there's this like faction of people that will say, well, it is that way because people of color just like to be around each other. And you mentioned that, like in the, especially in the Hmong community, mm-hmm. it was almost like a, like a point of survival, really, just to like link together because that's what they're used to. And yet that's what gets used as an argument for why things are so segregated yes. without ever acknowledging, actually for quite a few years, there were legal efforts to make sure it stayed that way. Right. And, and that the 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 for people of color to want to be in community was really more about surviving mm-hmm. than it was about like anything else yeah and, and i and i guess my it, question is can you can you speak to that at all yeah, and just just helping helping all of us white people who think well it is that way because they want to be around each other it's really that's really not the primary thing contributing does that make sense or is, yeah I, I think I definitely hear you in that um, a lot of folks my age and, um, you know, who've been a part of this Hmong church for a long time, um, we are battling with, like, do I stay? Do I stay in this Hmong community that we love and we've grown up in? Do we just build this for our future? Or, or what do we do now? How do we then move forward? Because we want to be a multicultural church, right? We want to... Our, we are no longer marrying just other Hmong people, right? We are marrying into other races. And um, how do we then create a space for our future who is not going to be Hmong anymore? And it's really hard. It's really hard to break away from Hmong district. Um, we don't know how it is that we can integrate with other CMA, like, who even knew how, I don't even know how many churches there are in the Pacific Northwest for CMA. Like, I think it, it, it really has to start with like us also opening the doors, right? Mm. To allow other people to come into our church and to be open to the idea and concept of why don't we work with them? Why don't we do things in community with other CMA churches? Like what, we have one other Hmong church in the Portland metro area and we don't even collaborate with them. Like why do we only do things for our church, right? Wow. And I think like we are so far behind and yet we don't want to step up either. There's so mm-hmm. many folks my age sure. who don't want to let their parents retire from ministry because they they're too busy to step in yeah. and they would rather build their lives like you know getting themselves into better neighborhoods sure. building the future for their children right so it's starting to pull away but at the same time they need a, a common ground and so I, I think it's a really difficult situation that we're just now starting to grasp like we finally have a next gen like in Hmong district where really the focus is going to be on our next generation and how it is that we move forward and how do we connect with them nice, and also stay nice. true to our ties and then it's like once we get that going and then what right and then yeah. how do we reach out to our neighbors you know our neighboring churches or just our neighbors in general yeah. And like our church is in Northeast Portland and right across the street, there's like this huge apartment complex and very rarely do we ever reach out to them to even do things for them in the community and our community in that area. And well, these, all these barriers are kind of set up in the system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also think like when you said that the Hmong, you don't even get to hear about anti-racist or like mm-hmm. God's god's justice for you know when when all that anti-asian hate like was happening like um in your own church and i i think that 
sometimes we fall into like the sin of niceness. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we, we go, oh, I'm not going to make waves. I'm going to try to like follow the status quo Mm -hmm. and line up with whatever. Oh, people think that's, that's political or people think that's too, and like too off topic. Like Mm -hmm. it's too off topic. <clears throat> excuse me yeah. for the justice of Jesus <laughs> or we like to make it so that it doesn't make me feel so uncomfortable like when George right. Floyd happened you know and I don't think it's necessarily on our pastors either but it's like we don't talk about it enough for them to even know how to to preach it right and so right. it was just more like okay let's just call it sin and yes, that's what it is, but it's <sighs> so much more complex than that. Right? Yes. Like, it's like, we just want to explain it in a way that makes me feel comfortable. So then I can continue to go and be the model minority and not make waves, not rock the boat. And I, I feel like that's so deeply rooted in our Asian community and that like, this is how we survive. So let's right. just keep surviving instead right. of like saying like, okay, we've survived this long and we've experienced all of this and it hurts us, but let's just ignore it, right? Like that's what they're, let's just ignore it and move on because we have other things that are more important. And so we'd rather focus on those other things than recognizing that there's work to do um, and we're not participating in it. And then that that is actually gonna end up hurting us because our future generation is gonna look at us and say, they don't care about this work that I care about. And so I'm going to go and find a community outside of the church that is going to help me understand what I'm going through and what I'm experiencing. And so I I really do feel like, you know, our Hmong culture itself has a lot of work. We're very patriarch, like a patriarch society. Mm -hmm. Like when we still have situations where it's like, it's not okay to have a woman pastor, right? um in our churches it's it's not okay for a woman to preach to men even if it's a shared space um like if her husband's preaching with her then we'll allow that right um we have Bruno, yeah. Bruno you better preach with me sorry <laughs> oh what you never yeah. stood on a stage in your life oh exactly or like when you're <laughs> in the room and you're invited to the room to have a conversation about ministry you're the last to speak. People, yeah. the, the men in the room will speak over you. Like we just have a lot of really ingrained things in our culture that prevents us from even doing work in the ministry that God mm. calls us to. Wow. And I think that has gotten better over time for sure. Because I think, you know, even within the Hmong culture, there's women who are married to men who are shaman. Mm. And they will say things like, well, maybe if we go to church, my husband will treat me better because I notice that the Christian Hmong men treat their wives better. Oh, wow. So it's like, we're already struggling with those types yeah. of things, right? And then to have our Christian men have to go that extra mile and have to learn and see where it is that they play in our patriarchal society, as well as society in general. Um, yeah. And it adds like so many layers. And so I see why we are so behind is because we have so much to un, unpack. Yeah. Like our parents don't even talk about their trauma. Yeah. Right. Oh man. So, well, and even yeah. the, the way you started the story, like the history yeah. of the secret war and mm-hmm. the Hmong people aiding the, the United States government in this in this like service way. And like, I mean, it's very, it's very interesting. I, I do think that, that like you're, you're talking about maybe some of the, the issues in the, you know, just the structure and culture and some of it had very well-meaning intention and community and I love it. And, um, but what would be really cool too, <laughs> is if the predominantly white church, I put that in air quotes, like white quote, white <laughs> church, would welcome the diversity of of way of Mm. of like you know um community and you know the way different cultures worship god or preach Mm. from god's word or you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. if if there was some way to to because none not one is right and one is wrong you know what Mm. i mean but for some reason it seems like that's what's it's not i don't think it's overtly said However, it feels like it's implicitly like lived. 
yeah. like, oh, these people do it this way and these people do it this way. Mm-hmm. And I put, I did a hand gesture, like, <laughs> like a line, like these people do it this way, like in a linear line. Sorry, Brian, I'm talking about white men. <laughs> yeah, no, that's <laughs> what we tell. do. I feel it, um, which is great. And we need it, honestly, like it's great and we need it. Then, then maybe another group of people do things um, in a less, less hurried, less, less, uh, anxious, maybe even like more communal, more child-centered, more whatever. It doesn't even Mm -hmm. matter. I don't, I I can't, I have no idea how the Hmong people do church, Mm -hmm. but, um, how do we make room for that? Like to have a Mm -hmm. multi-ethnic worship experience that includes people, not hierarchically, you know what I mean? But more like at the foot of the cross, like totally level ground, male, female, you know, everything. So I just, I just want to say that as you're pointing out things that you can see are like barriers, like mm-hmm. I feel like it would be a miss not to mention this other very large barrier, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which is mm-hmm. this predominantly white church, like mentality yeah. of how things Well, are. I think too, it's just um, opening up that space, right? So there yeah. was this Alliance Northwest Women's Conference and you know, our church was invited to come and have someone on the panel, right? And then by opening that up, I was able to sit with a room full of women from other CMA churches in our area that had no idea existed. And then it was like making those connections and now seeing like, oh, hey, like, aren't we all doing the same work? Like in the same area, in the same same city, like, can't we, can't we? connect like you know it's just (laughs) opening those kinds of doors it's like wow like there is so much more than just my church and I think growing up in Hmong church you really do get secluded into thinking that this is how you do church um, Mm -hmm. until you step outside of that and say oh okay you know there's more there's more we can do there's more work that we can do across cultures because I think our church is not dying like that's the problem is even though there's people in our church who want to change things, it's really hard to break away because our church is still growing. Like our, we, we have a church of like, let's say about 400 people and there's a hundred people who volunteer as into leadership positions. Like we only wow. have two paid staff. So everyone else <laughs> who's doing ministry, there's like a quarter of us are doing awesome. ministry. So obviously we, we love what we do. We, we have yeah. a calling that we want to do, but we only do it for ourselves. Mm. and and how is it that we can break outside of that so yeah um, and how do we collaborate like when you say that like there's a lot to learn from each other like how how do we um and how do I I serve as the youth ministry coach for the Alliance Northwest which is about 150 churches I, Mm -hmm. I believe um and how do we collaborate to like hey predominantly white church like how do we um open to other leadership that's not predominantly white leadership so that we can do things a little differently and then for you guys like how do you want how do you want to engage and how do you I just I love that I think that could be that's what we're starting anyway me and Mary (laughs) I I would just say like uh, I mean obviously you want to change and grow and all that kind of stuff but to be a church of 400 with only two paid staff and to have uh you know Mm -hmm a hundred volunteers in leadership and ministry. Like that's pretty fantastic. There's there's a lot of white churches that be like, how do you do that? Yeah. We need to learn from you. But that's a, that's also a a cultural mindset. Like there's just a, a, a a much more community mindset as opposed to an individualistic mindset. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that, I mean, that crossover that that, there's a lot to learn there. That would be just wonderful. I think so, so too. I think like, you know, our, sh- our own experiences, our cultural experiences from across the globe, like if we could come together, there are so many strengths that we could, you know, benefit from yeah. Yeah. other cultures and from each other. Um, the resources that we can get from, from white churches that the Hmong church hasn't even thought about. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, like I was speaking to, you know, how do I talk? How do we minister to people who are being abused? What's, you know, yeah. domestic violence is rampant in, in our own culture, but we don't want to talk about it because it, it brings shame or, you know, it, you can't save your face because that's kind of mm-hmm. like a thing that mm-hmm. we have. You have to save face. And I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, even myself. So, you know, I share that my dad was a pastor, but um, after 25 years of service, my dad actually left my mom and left our family and he went back oh. to Laos and, and got remarried. And wow. I think for so long, people were just like, oh, you know, he's Hmong. Like that, that's what Hmong men do. Like I don't even know what that means. His behavior because in, in the Hmong culture, um, you like traditionally they practice polygamy. So they oh. have multiple wives. And so oh. um, even men who are married in the U.S. Um, in the Hmong culture, they'll go and they'll have a second family mm. in Laos or Thailand. And mm-hmm. so it's so ingrained that that's a privilege that they can have, that yeah. even Christian communities are like, oh, but that's how Hmong men are, right? Like they excuse wow. that behavior. And mm-hmm. so like for me, you know, that was a real awakening growing up as a pastor's kid, because I do believe like growing up, I was like, oh, you know, I have to save my dad's face because he's a pastor. Right, um, protect. And yeah, and so there's like certain things I could do and I couldn't do and behaviors that, you know, clothes I wear from the way I spoke and what I had to do and how I had to serve. And then when he left, it was kind of like a shaking of my own spiritual faith. Like, of who am I? Yeah, what is my identity now? Because before I was pastor's daughter and now I'm not a pastor's daughter. Um, but I think also that was a really beautiful thing that God brought into my life because he really solidified like, oh, you know, I, I actually mm, follow cool. God. I don't follow yeah. my dad. Like, right, even yeah. though he's left the faith, like that's not going to shake who I am. I'm not going to leave CMA. I'm not going to leave Hmong district. Wow. I'm not going to leave my church. I'm still going to come back into this wow. church and serve and love because, you know, my father is in heaven. So I think cool. these are just kind of the, the things that we, you know, have to deal with. And yet at the same time, it also has shaped me to looking at the church much differently than other people do. Yeah, I can tell. We can tell. Yeah. And so it's just like, yeah. I I would just say like, uh, you go back to the whole like women preaching to men thing. And I just want to go on record here. I would be happy to sit under your preaching for a lengthy period of time. (laughs) Me too, Mary. Because I just feel like there is, there is just so much like eye opening, perspective shaping, and widening truth uh, that that I would not otherwise get to hear in any other context from any other uh, person or kind of person that I know God is just enriching my spirit with here. And any group of people that would be unwilling to listen to how, how Jesus is in you and shaping you, uh, they're missing out. They're just missing out. Like it is, this, this is a treat and a blessing and a joy. And I just, just grateful for, for what you're sharing here. It's really cool. Yeah. Thanks for saying that, Brian. It's true, yeah. Mary. It really cool. is. It's really, really, really endearing to see, like, in practical ways, like the gospel showing up through you Absolutely, about all of yeah. these about all of these topics. Yeah. Um, just I know we have to be done soon, but I, um, I'm just I'm grateful for the the way that you brought up model minority um it's really a painful spot for me um uh i had before before i started this work of white awakening i had a lot of asian friends Mm -hmm. and no black friends Mm -hmm. and it's just it's an important noticing of like um yeah just i just i i see the impact of that in the white priority um and that i and it's it's awkward it feels uncomfortable like and and i'm just kind of and i've seen brian you and i have been on trainings where an asian woman is talking to a group of black leaders and says i'm so sorry we i've bet i benefit from you being do you remember this i wish i could remember who it was she was she was amazing i'll look it up and put it in the notes (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it was, it's just so like, it's another problem of racism mm-hmm. that, that shows up in this really nuanced way that feels so, um, I just feel so much grief and remorse and mm-hmm. yeah. even like confession and repentance, honestly, mm-hmm. just as a white person. Um, yeah. And I'm so grateful to be awakening to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm also, I also know that there's not an easy fix, but I do, I just, I love it when Asian women like yourself or Asian people are, are among women would just go straight to it. That does feel like Jesus to me, like just go straight Absolutely. to it. There's, we can just confess it and talk about it. And it's, there's room for that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a, a problem and God wants to take care of it, you know? Yeah. And I, I think for the listeners, I like for those who are only friends with Asian people, you probably won't hear a lot about racism. You, yeah. You'll probably hear a lot of it being swept under the rug because they have that benefit from this white supremacy. Um, and so I feel like it is tough, but you have to open yourselves up to befriending more than just the Asian yeah. person. You can't just have that token Asian friend and right. say, no, racism doesn't, because I have an Asian friend who says it doesn't. Well, yeah, because they benefit from it and they have their yeah. own journey that they need to process through and yeah. recognize. And so the majority of people that I've spoken to, they will not, because to them, it doesn't matter if Black people get pulled over and get killed. It's because they probably did something wrong. Right. Yeah. It's probably because they look suspicious. Like we believe into all of these myths too, because it's not us. And then when it is us, the first people who come and stand beside us are people of color, right? Yep. And so yep. then it's like, what do you do now? Like, how can you stand in between? Like you really now just have to recognize what it is and how the society benefits you. And then how it is that you can go out and, and benefit society, right? Mm. By just being vulnerable and just saying like, I don't know everything. I'm, I do benefit. I do have privilege and this is how I'm going to use my privilege. So, wow. I think it's, um, it's a tactic actually of, of positions of power to break up camaraderie and community wherever it can be. Yeah. They pit us against each other now. Yes, absolutely. So now there's a lot of dissension between Asians and other people of color. And then you hear all the time, it's like, oh, black indigenous um and brown people and then they're like oh what about the asians well you know the asians kind of (laughs) partook in that so i don't feel offended you know i do personally person like i use bipoc because you know i do feel like okay yes i am a person of color and it's okay if they don't say yellow it's okay if they don't call out api you know specifically Uh, i know where i stand in that and i know the work that we have to do and we really aren't there because again we're Mm -hmm. still benefiting even even when it hurts us we're still benefiting yeah oh wow this has just been such a good conversation with you mary i'm so thank you so much i know i'm just so it just leaves me so much to think about and i just think of our listeners i i bet you're feeling like me, um, at least the white women that are listening, like, like this is gives me so much to think about so much to pray about so much to ask God for, um, just his love and grace and kingdom to break into these areas, but it all, so prayer one, but two, like the action of opening doors of, of even, especially for churches, like of community, um, with people of color and, and just being a little adding intentionality to that, um, which we're doing slowly, but surely, and we'll keep going. So yeah. thank you so much, Mary. We are That's just cool. so grateful. I look yeah. forward to all the times we're going to work together in the future. Yes. It's going to be, yes. it's going to be really great. So, awesome. well, I would so love much. to, um, take this opportunity to pray for the two of you um, for oh, this so podcast. <laughs> so lucky to be part of. Let us pray. Yeah. Dear Father, I thank you so much for this space and this opportunity. Thank you so much for Brian and for Annie and for the work that you are doing in their lives, for opening their eyes to see not only the gospel, but mm-hmm. what it means to be who they are and who you created them to be in this world that we live in. Lord, I just pray that you will continue to 
um, broaden their mind and their hearts, um, that their souls will be in tune to what it is that you desire us to understand about race. And that myself, Lord, that you will continue to use me as your vessel to do the work that you have called. And there are so many things that we have to do, but Lord, may we just recognize that this work um, against racism is important. It is so much of what it is that Jesus did and modeled yeah. for us. And Lord, we just pray that um, you will bless this podcast, that you will use it to the benefit of your kingdom, that you will reach people who may have never thought of this, or maybe who are feeling uncomfortable, Lord, and that you allow them to sit in that space and allow them to process those things and to continue to nag them so that they change what it is that they are feeling, that they can mm. ask you for guidance in this. Yeah. And that Lord, whatever unresolved feelings, like let that remain unresolved until your time, yes. because yes. that is what you desire of us. We are not going to get closure every single time. We are not going to understand and know right away. It is a journey that each of us are going through. And I pray for this journey, for this podcast, for everyone who participates and for everyone who listens, Lord, I pray all of this in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. What a great way to close the podcast right there. Have, have the guest offer to pray for us. Wow. Thank you so much. That was just awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Mary. Yeah, so good to be together today. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you soon. Yes. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.